we are making our way through a series where we say, we're talking about what do we really believe? What do we really believe about these great big subjects like who God is and who Jesus is and who the Holy Spirit is and what about creation and all these things? And I, I just, I don't, there's, I don't think there's a way that I can really do this. I just, I, I don't think there's a way I can adequately do this, but there's a, there's a heaviness or there's a difficulty in preaching a message like today's message. I'm not saying all of you should have the same response that I do or that you should get emotional like I tend to get or that it should. But I, but I, I, I want to be very clear just from the very beginning here. If you and I are willing to truly wrestle with today's subject of what I believe about man, It gets pretty difficult. It's great to talk about how amazing God is, how incredible He is, how powerful He is, how there's nothing He can't do, how He's, it's, that's a lot of fun. That's really encouraging. That's, that's the stuff that builds us up and makes us go, yeah, we can do this. When it comes to our theology, of what I believe about man, it's a little different story, right? Because it's not as pretty. It's not as fun. We have to stare an ugly truth in the face. And yet come out at the end and say, this is what I believe. Not just about man, because that's a very general term. This is what I believe about me. And that's not always fun. We begin with a statement that man was created in the image of God, sinless, in perfect holiness, and fellowship with God. I want to read again. I'm going to do it right out of this book. Again, those of you who are from the church here, if you're new today or visiting today, you maybe it feels a little weird, but we're jumping in. Uh, you're jumping in the middle of a study of our statement of theology that I just uh, felt like it was good to spend time doing with our church body here. And I'm going to read this, and many of you have copies of this already. Hopefully, you're reading along every week. Man was created in the image of God. This is what we say we believe. This is what we have agreed to believing as we're part of this church here. Man was created in the image of God, sinless in perfect holiness and fellowship with God. That's what I just read. That's what I have up there. As male and female, equal before God as persons and distinct in manhood and womanhood with male responsibility for headship in the home and in the church. That's the first clause behind that. And the second is, as a being of choice who willfully disobeyed God, bringing alienation, depravity, death, and eternal lostness to the human race through Adam's sin. As I do every week, I read the official sounding statement, and my thrust or my goal or my aim is to take that off of 
this kind of little thin booklet that sounds really churchy and official kind of statement kind of thing and say, is this really what you believe today? Is it really what you believe? And again, I just would remind you, I'm sorry, my nose is, is not just because I'm emotional, my nose has been a mess all week, so I'm going to try to mute my, mouth, uh, my mic when I have to blow my nose, but I'm sorry. This is vital. You may say we're talking about big words and theological stuff that whatever, it doesn't really matter. It does matter because what you do depends on what you really believe. And many times we say I know what I believe or we say I know what, but we don't really take time to peel away the layers and say, is that really true? For example, today is one of those that's just going to stare us in the face. We might say, oh yeah, I believe that man is, is, is responsible for sin. But in your personal life, do you really believe that? More specifically, do you believe in your personal responsibility of sin? And the proof is always in the pudding, right? Because the moment that you and I, I'm getting a little ahead of where we're going to go, which is fine. But the moment that you and I begin to justify in any way our sin, it means I have not really fully believed that sin is personal and originates and it's my problem. You see, there's a discrepancy right away where I say I believe one thing, but in practice, I make all kinds of excuses and I justify myself and I say, but this or but that, or here's really the problem, or here's really the fault, or if these people would just change, or if this would just happen, or if God just would have done this, all of that is saying, it's not my fault. And it's really saying, I don't really actually believe this theology about man that I'm going to talk about this morning. But let's jump in because as we talk about man, there's a couple of things. And I was just struck this week again as, you know, we've spent a ton of time. We've spent a ton of time in really the first couple of chapters of Genesis. And we're going to be there again today. It really is foundational to what we believe. There's just no other way to say it. Last week we talked about creation and I, I, I thrust home, I hope I did, I thrust home this idea that when God created things, he created them good. And that was really the setup where we're going to go today. So the very, the, the very first point I'm going to make again, and I'm, I, forgive me for being redundant. Last week Ernie did such an incredible job of coming up here and just, just reciting for us Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to have to read a few of those verses again because this, it, it comes to the first point. When we're talking about man, this is what we believe, that God created man good. When God made man, there was not a mistake. It was not, it was not full of sin. There was no, nothing off on it or wrong. It was good. Let me just start reading Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28. And God blessed them. And God God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, verse 29, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. Lots of uh, information I want to get to here yet. And it was so, verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was 
Very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now, most of us probably would come to the last part of what I read, which is why I want to read it, because it says it was very good. And I believe that's true. That's what God looked at. He said it was very good. But most of us would come to that last part and say, that's why I rest my hat on the fact that when God created man, it was good. And you would be correct in saying that. However, I would take you all the way back to the very first verse I read. Is it possible... All the things we say we believe about God, is it possible that if God created man in his image for them to be anything but good? Is it? Is it possible? If God is who he says he is and who we've said we believe he is, if he created us in his image, is there any other option other than he was good? There's not. It's impossible. You can't say we were created in God's image and say there was a mistake with us. It's impossible, or else God is not perfect. I only emphasize that to say we rely on some of the words that come and not really dig into the words, of the, what's behind all of it, to, to really pay attention. This is really what we have to say we believe if we're going to allow the word of God to speak to us. God created, and we're going we're gonna to keep moving through this because I don't think many of us are not going to be arguing with these things, but God created man good. The second part we see is that he created them, and I actually already read a verse about this, but he created them male and female. This is our statement of theology. We believe God created them male and female. We believe that largely because that's exactly what it says, Right? I read the verse already, but let me skip to uh, chapter 2 because it's going to give us a bit more detail about how this all works out. In chapter 2, I want to read verse 7 because I'm going to reach back to where he created uh, man. It says in verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And there's some verses in between there. He gives him some instructions. He tells him what he should do, those kind of things. And then we jump to verse 18. And it says this, then the Lord God said, now I'm putting emphasis on purpose on the verse I'm putting up here on what God has said, what God has said. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now verse 19 kind of jumps back and says, the reason God said this is, this is why God said this. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, or the man, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her into the man, into, uh, I'm sorry, brought her to the man. Then the man said, verse 23, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Again, we get confirmation that they were good, that there, was, that there was not sin there. There was no shame there. Shame comes when sin comes. But God said it's not good that there's only one, that there's man, and he made a counterpart. He made a counterpart for man. That's what that word means, by the way. It means in the face of. He made woman in the face of. The helper fit for him. 
in the face of. Now, part of that, I believe, I, I love how God's word does these things. There's like layer upon layer of things that are happening. Part of that is simply from the fact that look at what he had done with all the animals. What did he do with all the animals? He brought them in front of Adam, in the face of Adam, and none of them fit, right? Adam named them, but none of them fit. None of them were suitable helpers. And probably what I'm going to tell you is that he was, Adam was seeing is that every one of them had male and female because that's how God was blessing them to procreate and continue on. So he brings Eve in the face of, in front of Adam. That's this, all those things to show that there's not a, there not a, there's not a compliment found and then he, he creates Eve and he brings her in the face of. Now in the face of can also mean the opposite part to you. Like as a phrase, the opposite part to. He brought Eve as the opposite part to Adam. Some would even suggest that in the face of has, and you can use it this way, has almost a, and I don't want to, maybe we use the word opposition, but an opposition kind of thing. Have you ever noticed, by the way, male and female are kind of like that, right? We're opposites, right? Like, like what my wife notices are things that I don't notice. The way she responds to things are not the way I respond to things. It's taken me a little while to learn this, but typically it works best when we kind of take both of those into example because what I do is not always right and what she does is not always right. But together we find the place where it should be. That's kind of how it works often, right? For Adam, there was no helper suitor, no helper fit for him, no, no helper suitable for him. If I get those words out. So God created them male and female. We're going to spend more time with that down the road with some, uh, with, at the, a later part of the series. But it should say, I want to at least get the seeds in here, that our theology says that God was intentional when he did that. And he created them differently. It did not mean, does not mean there's any difference in value or in equality before God. The New Testament makes that abundantly clear. It does, however, come with the fact that, that God has different roles for them. We see that all in the beginning. If you look carefully at how much I jumped over, there's actually a lot of instruction that God gave Adam before Eve was ever even on the scene. Indicative of the role that God was going to have Adam play. That's why when I read the churchy sounding stuff, it talked about the fact that, that uh, we believe he created a male and female with different roles with headship for the man, not for the woman. He created him first and he gave instruction to him. Notice when he gives all the instructions we're going to read today, he gives them to who? To Adam. Do, you under, do we understand that with authority also comes responsibility? They can't be separated. If I can, if I can say this, it's not, not any less true for us, but young people, pay attention to that. If you want authority, it comes with responsibility. You can't separate them. You can't say, I want to, have, I want to be treated like an adult and have the authority of an adult, but not have the responsibility of an adult. Doesn't work that way. This, I mean, I, I, I've gave, I looked at you guys because you're sitting all up here, but like it's true for all of us, actually. I mean, there's probably not many of us at all that don't clamor in some way for to be recognized more as some kind of authority, but we don't always like the fact that that means there's necessarily responsibility that comes with it. Anyway, we'll pick some more of that up. As a transition, I did jump over some verses, and I want to bring something to our mind because it's going to bring us to what we really have to get to this morning. Uh, what I alluded to earlier. There's a little Hebrew word tucked away. This is in verse uh, uh, 15. I'm going to put up the verse in a little bit, but here's the Hebrew word, and you don't need to know Hebrew necessarily. Uh, I probably don't even know how to say it for sure. I think it's tzavah is how you say that. It means order or command, an order or command. It's used this way. I didn't read these verses. I jumped over them, but I'm going to read them now. In chapter 2, verse 15, 
the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. By the way, don't ever for a second think that work is a result of sin. Did you hear the word I just read? Right? How did God create man? With good or bad? Good. Like, right. And then he put man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Again, this is not like, when I say these things, it's not like it doesn't apply to other people. But men, let's not buy the lie that Satan would offer to us that work is somehow not part of what we're supposed to do. That like it's a consequence of sin and that we should avoid it. Painful toil, as we will find out down the road, is a result of sin. Toil is not. That's not the point of this morning's message. Verse 16, and the Lord God commanded, I told you it's verse 15, it's actually verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. I only have part of that up there. But the Lord God commanded the man saying, now I want to draw a comparison to you this morning to help you understand what this means or what, how this sets up. Up until this point, Every part of creation, as God is creating and doing things, we noticed a pattern last week. We, remember we picked out some phrases and words that were repeated. We, we picked out the phrase that was good, because that was an important phrase. We picked out the phrase that it was morning and it was evening. That was a day. That was a good phrase. that helps define things for us. There was, does anybody remember the third phrase that we picked out that was repeated over and over again in, in the creation account? Anybody remember it? Just say it out loud. Oh, pop quiz. Anybody have any, any remember? remember? Anybody remember it all? The, what? Yes, thank you. And God said, and it was so. Now, you don't have to be honest and see whether you cheated and went back to your handout for last week, but that was it. And God said, and it was so. That was the pattern that was set up all the way throughout creation, right? God said this, and it happened. God said this, and it happened. God said this, and it happened. Now, lay that alongside of what we see here. How is it different when it says, and God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree, blah, 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 go on. How is that different? What's the distinction I'm making? Anybody know? Did God say, Adam, don't eat of that tree? What would have happened if he would have? Let's test our theology. What would have happened if God said, you will not eat from that tree? He would not have eaten from that tree ever because he had no choice. Because remember, that's the reason the pattern was set up. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. And God, by the way, that's why every promise God makes is true. Because God said, and it will be so. Here it says, he tovod, he commanded, he ordered him. Very strong language still, right? He ordered him. When I order my kids to do something, it usually comes with a pretty good understanding. It better happen. However, what is implied if I'm ordering them to do something? They have a choice. They can disobey, can't they? And they do sometimes, if I'm going to stay in that example. And so do I sometimes. Right? When it says that God commanded Adam, we should understand the implication of that is very large because it says, though I created you good and I put my image inside of you and I made you male and female with separate functions but equal in value and I love you and I have this relationship and, and there's no shame or there's nothing going on yet, 
when he says that, it implies to us, it reveals to us that they had a choice. And as we have to come to the final part about what we believe about man, we were created good, we were created male and female, but we willfully disobeyed God. Given the choice, we disobeyed. Now, I'm going to be intentionally, I appreciated Thomas's question up here, and I'm going to be intentionally not necessarily addressing the role of Satan in this. There is, a, there is a, a section coming yet on Satan, so I'm going to leave it for there. I'm going to intentionally, you may not like this. Actually, well, there's two reasons I'm doing it, because there's a section later. I'm going to intentionally uh, uh, not really talk about his role in this. The other reason I'm really not going to talk about it is because I want to make sure that you and I understand that though we may be tempted often and tempted severely, you are grossly misunderstanding things if you think for a second that you will stand before the throne of God and be able to give an excuse for the sin that you did, that you committed. You will not say, but he tempted me. So I'm doing it very intentionally. Yes, Satan played a role. I'm not, I'm not telling you he didn't. Temptation plays a role in our lives. But if I want to build a good theology of man, of who man is, it must not allow any room to say it's Satan's fault. I tell my children this often. No one can make you sin. Do you actually believe that? I believe it's true, the bottom of my heart. I, I know I fail at that sometimes because that means I willingly do it, right? That means I've made a decision somewhere. But no one can make you. And I recognize you're gonna, there's all kinds of caveats, there's all kinds of whatever you wanna say about that. Like, that, I mean, I realize there's some situations that are extremely difficult, including addictions. But somewhere that addiction began, right? Anyway, that's not the message this morning either. Man willfully disobeyed. Let's read Genesis chapter three, verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? I can interrupt myself. It's a curious exercise, by the way. If you can read this account and tr think critically about when did sin first appear? What was the first, when did sin first rear its head? I'd be open to having discussions with you afterwards with your ideas and thoughts about when, when the first sin, the, what, was the first, what was the first instance of sin that we read about. You shall not eat of any tree of the garden. Is that what the, the serpent asked them? Is that, what the, is that what God said? And the woman said in verse 2 to the serpent, we may eat of the, tree of the, uh, eat of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Sounds like a pretty good deal. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. I should have put that verse up there when I read it. 
all the temptation aside, as they go down this travel, they travel down this slippery slope, if you want to call it that, and they have this conversation, and the end result is God commanded, he gave them an option, but he commanded, don't eat from that tree. And when they saw that the tree was good, and it looked like the fruit was good, and, it was, and they thought, this is good to make us wise, and it's good for us, and it's something positive for us, then they took of the tree, and they ate. Eve first, Adam later. Or Adam right, I mean, I don't think it was like much later. It was like pretty much instantaneous there. And then their eyes were open, and they realized. We have to go on with some of those things before or that come after this. But again, for this morning, I want to stay with this text right here or with these thoughts right here and recognize what happened here. Again, I ask you, I, I've tried to reach back and make supporting points as we go along. Again, I ask you, was there a difference in God's eyes in responsibility between male and female? Maybe a confusing question. I see a few of you give me a little confusing look. And that's fair because that question doesn't always come out the way it, it should come out. But what I mean was who ate first? You can say this. This is participatory, right? We just read it. So Eve. Eve ate first. Who did God talk to? Adam. Why? Why? In our individualistic, like, if you have a problem with me, come talk to me, attitude, culture, world. Why? Why did God go talk to Adam when Eve took the bite first? Yeah, a couple of good answers I've heard out of here. Who did God give the command to? Adam. Now, you might say Eve wasn't even there yet. I would tell you, that's exactly the point. God did it that way on purpose because he wanted to demonstrate that he sees when I created male and female, they, I created them distinctly for different reasons. We may not like them. We may shake our fist at God for those kind of things, but it is God's creation after all, is it not? I think it is. Which means we have to, we have to understand that there's a reason. Why did God give him that command before he was even on the scene? To make sure that yeah, Adam and all the rest of us men throughout time understand that there's a responsibility. That there's an authority. That there's a headship that he expects from us. That if we can be honest, we have failed on many, many times. Again, different message. This whole thing introduces the topic of sin, which of course we have to get here because we just went, I mean, I don't know how... I, I, I don't know how it feels to you, but to me, it feels like we've been having these great discussions about how great God is and how amazing the fa as a father he is and what a, I mean, how incredible Jesus is and, and the Holy Spirit and God's amazing creation. And then we were just up here, and all of a sudden, we went from starting up here where God, God created man and man was good, and we ended up about light years, about I don't know, a thousand light years away from there with sin. But we have to talk about sin. We have to understand what we believe about sin, and so I'm just going to move through this here at the end. This is on your handout too if you're following along. This is the place, just to give you some warning, this is the place for the next couple of references I'm going to want you to read for us like we've been doing just because I think it's good to keep us awake, keep us participatory, make sure that we understand that we all can read the Word of God and should all be reading the Word of God. We believe that sin is original, meaning it, it began with the first humans. 
that, that what Adam did uh, was not only affecting him and Eve and his children, but it has affected every single one of us here today and will affect every single person, every single human born since Adam and Eve, which is I, like everybody, because every one of us have been born since Adam and Eve. Someone want to read Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 14? I think it's a reference. Yeah, Romans 5, 12 through 14. If you have it, find it, read it in a nice, loud, clear voice. If you want to stand up, you can. You don't have to. Yeah, like Peter, we can probably say, okay, Paul has some really long, convoluted sentences. It's kind of hard to understand sometimes. But the gist of it is, he's making the point. When Adam sinned, he was, and the last phrase you just used there, Chris, he was a type for every person to come. That's what we call the concept of original sin. Also, in theological terms, it's called Adamic guilt, the guilt of Adam. Every one of us have inherited it. Every one of us is guilty of it. We're going to get to something. I'm going to have to leave it hanging there. I, I really, I want to talk more about that, but, but I have to leave that hanging there for now. Just to, just to know, that's what we believe about sin. When we say original sin, we believe Adam and Eve were responsible for it, but it has affected every one of us ever since then. It was, by, by one man, death came to all of us. Let's just put it that way. Now, the second part of that, however, is it's not just that we're talking about original sin or that we get to say, hey, Adam, way to go, buddy. You, you messed it up for all of us. We'd be having a great life right now if it wouldn't be for you. Thanks a lot, right? But we believe that sin is not just original. We believe it's also personal, meaning it is also us. We can't just say Adam did it and it affected us. We recognize that it has continued affecting us and we ourselves are part of that. Again, I have a couple references here. Let's look at Psalm uh, chapter uh, 14, the first three verses. Someone have those for us? Someone else could be looking at Romans 3, 19 and 20. Psalm 14, 1 to 3. Just read those out nice and loud for us, please. Talk about repeated phrases. What's the repeated phrase in that one? Did you catch it? Said twice to emphasize it. Three verses, same phrase, repeated twice. What was that repeated phrase? Who wants to say it? There's none that have done good. It's not just Adam and Eve, folks. We can't just say, hey, like, if you would have made the right choice, then we wouldn't be suffering. Every single person since that has made the wrong choice. There's not one that's good. Someone read Romans 3, verse 19 and 20. Again, there's some things there that we can unpack about the law and all the, it's rolling here. But what I want to get to is, is, is a little, little, little pop quiz for you. Whose mouth will not be silenced before God? Is there anybody who's exempt from that? Is there anybody who's going to say, my mouth will not be silenced before God? What he just read, the words of Paul, so that every mouth will be silenced before God. There will not be one who will stand guiltless. 
do we believe this about man? Do we believe this about ourselves? Sin is original, sin is personal, and sin is deadly. Again, it's somewhere we have to bring ourselves to. I don't think, I don't, man, there's, I, I gotta tell you, if you, I mean, if you're looking ahead, which you can, it's not really cheating. You can look ahead to see where, we, there's some really, really good and exciting stuff coming. Some stuff that I'm absolutely looking forward to teaching you on because it's, it's amazing and incredible. But I don't believe we will ever be fully ready to grasp those things and receive them if we do not start with the right foundation, if we haven't started from the right place. Sin is original because of Adam. We've all inherited it. But sin is personal. We've actually all done it ourselves too. We've disobeyed God. Right, right after this verse that I just read is the famous line we know from Romans, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I didn't read that. I could have read, we could have, we could have read that. And we have to believe, according to the word of God, that sin is deadly. It comes from the very first time God commands Go back to Genesis 2.17. I don't know if you remember back then. I didn't have the last part of the verse on the screen. Part of that was because it didn't fit. Part of that was because I wanted to save it for now. Because God, when he gave the command and he gave the choice, he also gave the full knowledge that if you choose the wrong thing, there are consequences. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And before you start coming up with some highfalutin nonsense that, well, they didn't fall over dead, so that God was a liar. Notice what happens for the, as a result of sin. What other tree was standing right next to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? The tree of life. Now, what do you think the tree of life did? What's the purpose of the tree of life? Seems pretty obvious, right? Brings life. What's the opposite of life? Death. What happens when they sin? And then God says what? Now they will eat from the tree of life and will live forever. And he does what? Genesis chapter 3 verse 24. He drove out the man and at the east end of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. In a literal sense, Adam and Eve and every single person after that is denied presence or access to the tree of life. Is, brings, is death, because it's the opposite of that. When you don't have the tree of life, you, it's death. In a literal sense, because of the choice to disobey, because of sin. As you are probably well aware of, we believe up until that point, had that not happened, they would not have died. God makes it pretty clear in some of the consequences of their sin that there wouldn't have been th painful things that would happen to them, sickness and disease and things like thorns and things like weeds and all kinds of stuff that, that came up because of sin, as a result of sin, because of the now put in progress process of death. All of those things are just part of the process of death. You see, we, we like to think of death as a moment, Right? Like, like it happens, like you're alive and now you're dead. But you realize it rarely happens that way. Now, it can happen that way sometimes if there's some kind of fatal accident and there's, you know, in a blink of an eye, your life can be snuffed out. But for most people, that's not really how it happens. 
I would dare say there's even in many of us right now our body in the process of dying, of things shutting down and not working like they're supposed to, of my heart and my arteries, as your dad is well aware of Harlan, my heart and my arteries not working quite as efficiently or as good as they had been. Maybe you don't like talking about things like this, but your body is dying. Just wait till you get old enough, right? You'll figure it out pretty soon. You can't deny it anymore. But there's other things that we understand about death. We talked about it a bit in the Sunday school class this morning. Why Why picture the sin of Israel with a bunch of dead, dry bones? Because it's a picture of what's actually happening, right? It's a representation of death. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin, the payment you get for sin, is death. Now we have the great part of the light at the end there, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're going to pay attention to that next week. But we're not there yet. James would say it this way. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Again, I, wanted, I, don't want to make, I don't want to belabor the point, but I want to make sure that we understand, that we connect some things together, that our dying, our bodies not working like they ought to for on, on and on and on, our struggles that we have, our eventual death dying here, like our heart stopping and our breath stopping, and those things are a result of sin that we willfully chose. If I don't believe that, then I don't know how I can believe the good news of Jesus Christ. I don't need good news if I don't believe that, if I can put it that way. I want to close this morning by reading some verses from, we've been spending a lot of time in Genesis, so I'm going to go to the other end of the book and go to the book of, uh, the, yeah, the book of Revelation. Just read some lines, and I tell you, I love these first lines. They're so fun to read. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Now listen to these words. Listen to these words and hear the longing in your heart that's reaching out for these words. And I, excuse me. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. These are words that we love to hear, right? Am I right, church? We love to. This is a picture of the glimpse of what's coming. They're amazing words. If I could stop there, it would be so much more fun. But I can't because there's a verse 8. There's a reality of the truth of what we've talked about this morning. 
that stares us in the face even as John is describing the incredible things that await those who have trusted in Christ. Verse 8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Sin is original, it is personal, and it is deadly. You have before you a unique opportunity. You understand many, 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 many people the world over do not have such an opportunity as you have this morning. To be fully aware of the consequences of sin before it's too late. To know God has commanded you to do this or to do this or to do that. And when he says that, he says, you have a choice. You can choose to do that or you can choose to do what you want to. But with your choice comes a consequence. And the willful disobedience of God is called sin. And the payment for sin is death. No one likes to do these kinds of things. But they do have value. And I'm wondering this morning... When the last time was that you, even if you're a saved person, which I hope most of you are, when's the last time that you have allowed yourself to contemplate the weight, the impact, the result of your personal sinfulness towards God? Does it bother you at all? Is it worth crying about? Is there any offense in it? Is there any, or is it not so bad? God, perhaps in a way that we don't often get, we have been taken on a journey this morning of recognizing how you created us and what you intended for us and what, what you had in mind and 
how you began this and where we are today. And you've made it, I, I think, I hope, for all of us more obvious than perhaps at any other moment of our lives what the choice is before us. And by your grace and your mercy, you have given us a chance that if we have chosen incorrectly, we can change our mind. That's called repentance, changing our mind. Metanoeho. We confess that just like Eve and just like Adam on that day, we think wrongly about so many things. Maybe sometimes even about who we ourselves are. And we make wrong choices based on those wrong thoughts, those wrong understandings. And we are sorry for that. We want to every moment you have given us the chance that when you shine the light on who we truly are, on who we are and what we have done in our own personal sin against you, God, we want to take an opportunity, if it's the millionth time or the hundredth time or the very first time, to say, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you gave me a choice and I chose the wrong thing. And that has meant death to me, death in my bones now, death in my separation from others, death in my separation from you. And finally, ultimately, if I don't do anything about it, if I don't, if I don't change anything about what's happening, ultimate death. And an agonizingly full of suffering thing I don't even want to think about. I thank you so much for Jesus, God. I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you so much that we have a next week. And I don't know if we actually literally have a next week, God. You know our days. But that we have a next week, we have another sermon next week to talk about what we believe about salvation. Because I need that so desperately. If we could just be frankly honest with you, God, <laughs> I don't like, we don't like thinking too long about our darkness, the sin that we carry. But if it brings us into your light, 
we will absolutely do it. Thank you. Thank you that you, you are the loving father who's waiting at the end of the driveway for his children to come home. We made the choice. It's our problem to deal with it. And yet, there you are. You already dealt with it. I'm so grateful, God. Thank you. Thank you, God, that we can come to you. And you'll deal with us. You'll, you'll meet us. You bring truth to us. And you free us. free us from the choice that we chose. Thank you for your word, for your Holy Spirit this morning, God. I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here this morning and who are willing to walk into difficult places along with me. I ask for your blessing on them. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.